Hi, Terry. Hi, Jess. Hello to those listening. Welcome to our podcast on Modeling Minorities. We're two Asian American women and friends who met in college. We're both daughters of immigrants. These are the conversations we're having, or wish we were having, with our husbands, friends, families, and coworkers. So what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about why is talking about race so hard? I guess it's, I don't, I mean, it's only our third episode and we need to admit something. Our conversation usually flows quite well. And for the past couple, it was, you know, definitely a lot easier, but we were, we're re-recording this one because it's, I guess, as the subject line suggests, it, it, it was definitely a hard one for us to process and ugh, a hard one for us to talk about. Yeah, we don't want to lie to our listeners, but this is the first time we've done <laughs> it. Not yet. <laughs> exactly. And we are just scrapping what we recorded and we're just starting everything over because this topic is so hard. Let's start with the beginning then. And and how we were raised and you know, how was was race talk, talked about in your home? I don't think it was ever explicitly addressed. I think my parents made it very clear we're Taiwanese, but I think the focus was more on assimilation. They wanted us to do well in school. They wanted us to be set up to go to a good college and one day get a good job. And I think because they wanted us to blend in, it just wasn't talked about. And I I don't know that it was even intentional. It was just Mm -hmm. focusing us on things that they thought were important and should be the priorities. Mm-hmm. What about you? Did you and your parents ever talk about it? I'll be honest, I don't remember having conversations about my our my our race in the context of America or in the context of this country. And so it was focused more on ethnicity and ethnic pride. And I think I was really lucky to have grown up with a really tight-knit Asian community. And so I had my Asian best friend and I had these people that I saw every week and we all shared a common culture and we celebrated birthdays together and Lunar New Year together and New Year and the Roman New Year together. And, you know, (laughs) it was definitely, it definitely helped solidify my identity as an Asian American. I also realized now that I had this separate world. And so it was a separate, I, it was a very clearly defined world where my race was welcomed. But then does now I'm like, wait, did that imply that it wasn't welcome in my other world? I think I know what you're talking about because I grew up with a lot of my cousins in Southern California and we celebrated Lunar New Year and we always got together for family holidays and events and things like that and we ate delicious Taiwanese and Hakka food. It felt like a safe space but I don't think I would have ever used that term growing up but Mm -hmm. even in that place we never talked about what it meant. Like why are we eating different foods than what we might eat outside of this moment and gathering, I really think it had to do with us not having the language or the tools to address or discuss it. But it sounds like we both felt 
the separation in some way. It just, we never like made eye contact with it. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, Because I don't remember having conversations and maybe it was because we were young and, you know, it was childhood and, you know, you don't have to confront these things as 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 often um but not having the language and not having the tools growing up you know has an impact on us now as adults definitely we're trying to navigate you know and so it's talking about race is so hard and i know it firsthand just in my attempts at uh, showing up for the black lives matter movement i am not active on social media um and I, you know, felt I needed to add my voice to the conversation and, um, you know, posted something in support of Black Lives Movement. And within a second, or maybe <laughs> what felt like a second of me posting it, I immediately got feedback that I did it wrong and oh. that I should take it down. And so then I was like, okay, so I took a risk and now I've learned that I should just shut up. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, I, so I felt similarly, but different because, um, when, when that happened and when the George Floyd video came out, I was actually, and I'll, I, I have to admit, I was scared to ask some of my black coworkers how they were feeling. And it wasn't because I didn't care, but it was because I didn't know how to approach the conversation. And I didn't want them to feel like I was mismanaging the conversation or putting them on in the spotlight. And so I think part of not having language around this or not having learned it is that when these conversations happen or when you feel like they should happen, I think we just don't even know what to do. And the other thing I'll say is sometimes when like race conversations happen um, at work, for example, I pre-cringe. I'm Mm -hmm. like not sure where it's going to go. And I'm just like, oh God, what what is the next thing the person is going to say? And I'm like trying to anticipate and like shield myself. Does that ever happen to you? <laughs> One thing that comes to mind is when someone not Asian says to me that a specific Asian restaurant is really authentic. <laughs> and I'm like, why do they need to feel this sh- to share the detail with me? Why with you specifically? Um, are you are you upset someone is recommending a good restaurant? <laughs> it's it's not even that it's the fact that they've emphasized the authenticity part like that they need for me to know that they recognize that I'm Asian and therefore I would only go (laughs) to the authentic and they've verified for me that it's authentic right because it's like (laughs) why wouldn't they come up to me like Jess I found a really authentic Italian restaurant right Mm -hmm. (laughs) some people go out of their way to tell me they love k-pop and I'm always like but do I tell them I'm not Korean? Do they think all Asians are the same? But you do love K-pop. But they don't know that, Jess. <laughs> and so that I guess all that just goes to show that, you know, having these conversations are hard because, you know, we're we're sensitive to it from people who direct it at us. We're sensitive to it because of us directing it at other people and like with the rise of the anti-Asian violence and the Atlanta shootings, I was surprised by my sadness and discomfort when my my social circle was 
quieter than I expected. I, given my experience, um, you know, trying to chime in on the Black Lives Matter matters movement, I definitely thought it was better to not say anything if you couldn't say the right thing. But now having been on this side of it, I think I appreciated the voices who tried. And yes, maybe it was awkward or fumbly or, you know, I, I maybe I didn't even know how to respond to the outreach. But I appreciated it more than the silence. Yeah, the silence says something. Right. Like in and of itself, the silence means something. Um, when when it happened, I reached out to Asian Americans at work. I reached out to you. I reached out to friends um, just to check in on them. But actually, I was kind of surprised that some people I talked to hadn't seen the news and then others had seen it and just didn't care, like didn't want to talk about it. It was such a varied response. There was not like a one size fits all. It was everyone came with like a different reaction. Um, And I think that also was surprising to me. So we understand why it could feel discouraging, right? When we, when even in our own community, we didn't get that like vehement, like, yes, like we need to rally together. It was like, oh, it was, you know, it varied from like lukewarm to apathetic to yes, fervent change. That's Um, exactly it. I felt so discouraged in some ways because like my reaction was like, let's all get loud. Let's all make signs. Let's go to vigils and protest. Let's like do something. And then for some people to be like, eh, I'm going to like go watch Netflix because it doesn't really affect me. And I was like, but you're, you're Asian. Like (laughs) spoiler alert. Um, So I was, yeah, I was really surprised and also a bit discouraged. Yeah. I think what I've learned is also just like not assuming how people are feeling because you know, the whole point of this podcast, for instance, is to try to talk about it and to to meet people where they are and to recognize that people are in different parts of the journey. And like, I admit that like, even when people did engage us, like when Travis, my husband, I think he was one of the first people that was like, oh my God, the shootings, like, are you okay? Like, how are you feeling? Are you okay? I like got defensive because it looked, I was like, I don't know, are you okay? Another white person (laughs) is shooting up like, is you know attacking people and so um it definitely took it I, I i think it like took me half a day or so to understand why he asked me and then also why i it why it should matter more to me than it did like just in the moment because i was like of course like this is horrific it's a shooting but like I think the 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 race overlay I even I had to like take some time to process it so I don't yeah I don't fault people for having various reactions to to your outreach I do appreciate that your response to Travis checking in on you was how do you feel about a white person going on a rampage like I wish I had that reaction um, because I think as some of the listeners now will know, Chad and I got into a fight when the topic came up, but I think it also revealed my own blind spots. I think in the first episode, I talked about how, you know, Chad went away and like read up on it and kind of like processed it in his own way. But I think to me, it revealed that 
I was judging him for things that he just didn't understand, but things that he wouldn't have ever understood because he's never been in our shoes. It took me a minute to process as well, both how I felt about the Atlanta shootings, but then also that just because someone has never been in my shoes, I shouldn't expect for them to immediately be empathetic or, or no, but if they make the effort and they try, then that's something that I can really appreciate respect and begin to move forward with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that you and I at least learned that yes, we might fail. It might be super uncomfortable, but that I think showing up and showing a willingness to be there for somebody to want to understand their human experience um, is important. I, I, I need I need to be okay with messing up and the uh, discomfort in that because I do want to keep growing and trying and learning. Yeah, it's almost like I just have to expect that I will be embarrassed. I will be ashamed of things I say, mm-hmm. things that I do, but that doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I have to keep talking about it and I have to keep talking about it, especially if other people don't want me to keep talking about it. Right. You know, it's like that is the responsibility we have at this point in time in this climate. Um, I'm just relieved that you and I both reached this conclusion (laughs) because it could have easily gone the other way of like, let's just not say anything. Let's just be quiet. Yeah, let's just like (laughs) marathon a Netflix show or something. Yeah, I mean, we can do that also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also just came across this really great training. Yes, um, yes. And you hosted. found it, actually. So yeah. thank you for finding it. We attended a Hollaback's bystander intervention training. Um, this The one we attended was specifically uh, around stopping Asian Asian American harassment and xenophobia. And they partnered with um, the AAJC, um, Asian Americans Advancing Justice. And it's a really great one hour training, just like some really actionable tips on how to how to help when you see something that that is not um, not just. And so uh, we will share a link on how to donate and how to also sign up if you're interested. It's a free course. Um, Yeah. And we were really inspired by it. I thought it was so great. And I, when people ask, what can I do? How can I be an ally? I would probably say attend this course, donate, do something, right? Because if you really want to show up for people, there are things that you can do. So Jess, thanks for finding this. I thought it was so helpful. And also Chad was actually just coincidentally like taking a nap when I was taking the course with you. But then when he woke up, he like wandered downstairs and was listening in on it and thought, even the few minutes that he attended was super helpful. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Terry, for helping me process these feelings. (laughs) Thank you, Jess. Thank you for listening. This is really meant to be a conversation, and we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email us at hello at unmodelingminorities.com. Unmodeling Minorities will be released every Thursday. Hope you join us next time.